welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, hey, welcome back, and as always, thanks for listening. So I'm going to put two words together that probably should never be in the same space. But I think it's important because I've had some friends run into a few things and uh, it's very hard to kind of, I don't know, it's not hard, it's just, it's hard from the standpoint of not understanding that that much is easier but it's hard to accept yeah let me say this and those words this phrase the two words are church and politics church politics wow um so here's part of the thing if you get humans together there's going to be politics. And that's just, I think, a fact of nature. Now, the fact that it gets into the church is what really gets people crazy. And I understand why. Because, to be honest, we have a very, you know, or should have a very positive thought process on the word church. Church ought to be, especially the church of Jesus universal and I don't mean the Catholic Church because that's a section right I'm talking about all the believers everywhere that ever lived and ever will live and that are living now period that's the church now here's the thing anytime you get people together there's going to be some kind of politics now in organization there's organizational politics in church it just so happens church is a type of organization and uh, it should be an organism because if you're an organism there's not a lot of politics to be had everybody you know in in an organism uh, every particular thing has has a function and, and doesn't worry about being something else. In other words, your heart's not really that blooming concerned about being the kidney. Why can't I filter out blood? And yeah, no, 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 no. Um, you know, the brain's not worried about being the foot. You know, so man, yeah, I sure would like to kick a football or something. But anyway, that being the case, everything has a function and it does its function because that's what it is. That is just what it is. In an organism, or, and that's that's the way it functions. But organization, whoa, it's different. People vie for certain spots, which shouldn't be the case. Now, let me uh, let me throw this at: as long as there have been religions, as long as there's been faith, there's been some kind of politics involved. Not heavily to be honest and I'll talk about the early church in just a second 
So, originally, back in Jesus' day, and by the way, the church, the early church, was fashioned off of the synagogue. It was fashioned off of that. That was their model. In fact, but I'll be honest, you say that and there are absolute, there are Protestants that will start bleeding out of the eyes and nose and screaming bloody murder till they freaking die. They absolutely don't and vehemently say, no, that's not the case. But they're delusional because it's true. So the issue is this. Um, the early churches were based off of the synagogue and at that time... In the very early church, they went. There was. There's all indications that they went to synagogue and and church. So they met on Friday, you know, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown in the synagogue. That were not that whole time, but I'm just saying that was, you know, the traditional time for Shabbat. Then after that. So, you know, Saturday night to Sunday night church. They gather together as believers in Jesus. And the reason we know that is because some of the early church fathers actually wrote notes and letters saying, you people stop that stuff. You stop going to the synagogues and uh, and just really giving people uh, fits over that. Uh now, why were they going to synagogues? Well, there was a couple of reasons. Number one, the early church was predominantly Jewish. Um, and the non-Jewish people that weren't Jewish were most likely what we call God-fearers, which means they were observant um, Gentiles. They followed the Jewish uh, way of worshipping the living God, but they didn't convert to to Judaism, they didn't turn themselves into, they didn't become proselytes, we call that, you know. So here's the thing. Um, in the early church, wasn't a lot of room for a lot of blooming politics. Now still there's politics going on, right? Because people are people, and people like to be in charge, and, and there are different people like to be in charge more than others, and so forth. And you had some positions in the synagogue, uh, which was rabbi, and that there was a uh, there was a, a, a uh, we call him a cantor now, but would be someone who led the singing, so to speak. Um, but that was it. And there might be multiple of these people. Um, and I believe uh, there was a, a, a person there that, that took the Torah scroll to the individuals or, or helped the people to the, to the bima. To read, but um, but there was, the point is, there just wasn't a whole lot of people in there. I mean, as far as the leadership goes, and that leadership was very, um, very, very matter of fact. I mean, the rabbi would be somebody that you would go to, and you would say, you know, am I doing, am I doing the Torah right? Am I doing? I mean, the commandment says this, and I'm doing this. Is, does that sound like I'm? Am I on track, or am I off? You know, am I off somewhere? 
and and the rabbi would say, well, okay, based on this and this and this and this person's uh, you know thought process and this person's thought process and this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, I think, man, it looks like you're doing okay, or you know, well, no, maybe not, okay. And the rabbis were very, 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 very helpful that way. So here's the thing. Again, the reason someone became a rabbi is because everyone saw this person had some ability. And this person felt compelled to go in that direction. Now, in the church, you would have someone who was in charge of, okay, this is what we're going to do. And there was an order of worship. They, they usually always... Um, usually always had the Lord's Supper, okay, had the uh, the Eucharist, we call it, and I tend to not go that direction just because that's very Catholic term. But anyway, they had the Lord's Supper. They also um, sang songs, hymns, spiritual songs, and had the Scripture read and explained. Very much like the synagogue, okay? But here's the issue. Again, you're not talking about a lot of leadership and politics in that situation. Now, why? Because it just wasn't there. And there were house churches. They were in people's houses. You didn't have like a megastructure. You know, it wasn't like the Colosseum. Hey, let's go meet the Colosseum. Uh, it wasn't that. Now, hold on to your hat and fast forward oh, what, thousand years? Fifteen, fourteen hundred, something like that, to the Middle Ages. Let's just fast forward to the Middle Ages. Within this period of time, you had the church growing and the church became more Gentile. The more Gentile they became, the more Romanized they became, because the Gentiles were predominantly in the Roman world. Not completely, but predominantly, yes. And they were familiar with the Roman structure, which meant Roman structure is something in business they call a tall structure. Tall structure means you've got a lot of levels. you got you got you know, level after level after level after level. And, and everybody just kind of understood that. So as churches grew and they met in different places and finally, you know, meet in a building, they had a lot, a lot more things added. But it was still usually just a bishop or pastor and then the congregation. Now, let's fast forward to today. Well, so, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about church government. If you're talking about government, and, and please don't get bananas, but bear with me a second. Church government and church politics. So, two different approaches in their own kind of way, and that is you have your, and I've mentioned this before, 
something that that's called high church and low church not because it's lower than the high church but this high church has to do with tradition tradition has to do with the way they do things and the way things are set up high church like your lutheran methodist episcopal anglican all of these things okay presbyterian have levels of stuff and the more levels you have the more politics you have and in certain uh, in certain groups the bishops hold a lot of sway over many churches and to be a bishop they want to say okay no this is all about God and God chose me and okay but you know something else some people had to vote for you or somebody had to had to come up with the idea of you doing that you know somebody had to throw their vote in, in, in your direction somebody did now the complication complication with with politics is that you you then begin a series of rules on how you're supposed to behave okay because it's an organization and by the way your low church traditions would be assembly of god or your baptist and your you know pentecostal dominations and things of that nature um, they don't have as huge of a structure as high church traditions but but believe me i'm telling you it's there and there's even politics within the church and politics within the church has to do with well we don't need so and so being sunday school teacher because he's kind of you know he's got some weird ideas man but they don't bring it to the church they don't say hey does this guy you know should we vet this guy for to be a, a sunday school teacher no that's not happening when when you have church staff cutting people off that's church politics <laughs> and by the way it always tickles me in some ways uh, because the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist, where I hail from, um, have always been really big on church autonomy. Now, church autonomy is supposed to be, and I've mentioned this before, uh, the church makes its own decisions. And, and indeed, it does. However, um, if a autonomous Southern Baptist Church makes a decision to do something decidedly non-Southern Baptist, the Southern Baptist can come and say, you are not going to be Southern Baptist anymore. Which, if I'm not mistaken, if they can, if they, if they say, okay, do your own decision, you have the, uh, you know, the freedom to do that, but guess what? You're not going to be with us anymore. <laughs> that doesn't sound very autonomous. An independent church that is all on its own, not connected to any association, probably comes closer. But even in those churches, you're still going to have church politics. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's tons of independent churches who are run by families. You, all you have to do is look at the everyone who's on staff. They're all blooming related to each other. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, it can be. Yeah. I think it invites some very interesting problems. 
you know, when when, when everybody when you're you you got an inbred church staff running a church, who owns that church? Is it the church or is it the family? Now, I'm not saying you can't have a totally viable, totally spirit led church with a with a family running the whole the whole ball game. However, comma, uh, I definitely want to see that. Um, because I think that would be like seeing a lightning strike. But uh, because it, it just can. I'm not saying it does, but it can open up for a whole lot of things. But uh, a lot of times what ends up happening is is we make the senior pastor the president, the associate pastors all vice presidents, and then everyone else on church staff, uh, you know, a kind of uh, representatives of the parliament or government, and then all the church people down here who are supposed to be running the place, they ain't running the place. So that being the case, it's interesting to me that that would uh, that would be a possibility. Now, question now is, what next? Let me share a passage real quick with you. This is Matthew 15. And what you have is, uh, and let me just read the verse 1, Matthew 15, and this is in the ESV I'm reading. It says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Now, again, when you have Pharisees, you need to ask, you need to ask two things where they're coming from and who they're with. Where they're coming from and who they're with. These guys are coming from Jerusalem and they're with scribes. Where do scribes usually reside? They reside in and around the temple. Now, they don't always do that, but the majority at that time. And if it's Jerusalem and these Pharisees are from Jerusalem, that means more than likely they are in cahoots with the temple authority. Doesn't guarantee it, but there's a heavy possibility. Okay, and we're going to find out in just a second what the what the ramifications behind that is. He, says, he goes on in verse 2 and says, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And, why, uh, and he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For the commandment says, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father and mother must die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother... 
What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the word of God. So, what's going down here? Unfortunately, most Gentiles that read tradition immediately refer or believe that they're referring to the Mishnah or the Torah. Um, and that's not essentially true. A very renowned Jewish scholar named David Flusser has made infinite commentary on just this kind of situation. This tradition is a tradition that these particular Pharisees held, and it very well could have been a local situation. It does not have to be something really that specific, because, because again, um, you know, Jesus is pointing out the fact that, that, that what their local tradition is having to do with your father and your mother, and by the way, that, that phrase is as close to uh, it can is as close to the original as it can be, but the uh, it's still kind of a head scratcher. But basically, what it means is when Jesus has commented on them, he says that, that if anyone tells your father or your mother what you would have gained from me is given to God. In other words, the the support. Hey, uh, mom, dad, I, I know you're starving to death, but. That, Man, I'm just so sorry because the money that uh, you know that you would have gotten, have given, you know, gotten from me, I gave to God. So you know, hey, God wins, you lose. You know, stinks to be you, doesn't it? Which basically Jesus is saying, look, you're you're totally screwed up. I mean, you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, and and you guys are just like, you know, for the sake, you know, of making a big show out of giving money to God. Maybe you want to give her a bigger tithe and make yourself look really cool. You're doing this. So, the tradition is not necessarily the Mishnah. Although, 99% of the time, when a Protestant looks at that and says, Nope, that, that's that Jewish stuff, man. That's all that Jewish stuff, you know, all that Mishnah. And it's not. It's local. So, here's the thing. Um, this is politics politics. Why is it politics? Because at this point, the, the the chief priests, along with some Sadducee groups, along with the Sadduce these uh, Sadducean Pharisees, or, or, or Pharisees that followed Shammai, I should say, not Sadducees, ran the temple, which ran the Jewish establishment, and, and, uh, and they were in control. And basically, it was pretty much all about money, power, and position. And Jesus was on a collision course with these guys, with this whole system. And that's what got him killed. That's what got him crucified. Um, now, I, I should say, in a worldly fashion, because spiritually speaking, Jesus was crucified for the atonement of all of our sins. So that every one of us could approach the Father as an adopted son of God or daughter of God. Now, so what do you do about church politics? What do you do? First thing, and I don't want to say that it's a necessary evil. I'm not going to say that because I just, that just, mm. 
because no evil in God's economy is really necessary. The complication is, is when you put people in organizations, you get bad decisions because people are people and they make bad decisions. Sometimes they do it on bloom and purpose because they're selfish little farts, but sometimes they just screw up. But anytime you have politics, you have ego involved. You have position, power, and money. And uh, it doesn't work any different in a church organization. Church organizations need to be associated in, in some ways because you can do things very, very effectively if you associate. There are Christian associations of churches that gather together to do things, uh, gather their money, their resources, their people to do projects that would never be able to be done by a single church. So from that perspective, I think that's very good. And, but the complication, of course, is that the church has become an evolved into an organization and not an organism. An organism, people do their job because that's just their job. A person is a pastor because they need to be the pastor. Because that's really where God needs them to be. They need to be, uh, you know, Sunday school teacher, and they need to be in the pew, you know, just because that's where God needs them to be. It's not some grandiose kind of election process where they get all hyped up. And that's really how we need to look at church government, is more through function instead of position. And that's, again, why I think that in many ways, professional ministry is destroying the modern church because basically it just allows you to uh, get all puffed up for no reason. And people see that jazz. Most people see that jazz. And they go, well, dang, that looks like Washington up in that place. Uh, and I don't want any part of that. <laughs> so... Again, uh, don't, if you see church politics, and you see something you don't like about the church politics, see if you can find an independent church. But let me just tell you, there's going to be some level of politics even within a local church all by itself. You can't get rid of it because in some ways it has to do with the decision-making process. What you can do is make sure that biblical principles are being followed all the, every step of the way. And if they're not, then you put something in the works to shut it down. I think there's more than a handful of churches that have absolutely just imploded and destroyed themselves over church politics. But that's for another story. So as, uh, as you think this over, I want to encourage you to keep studying, keep praying, keep reaching out, and keep on keeping on.
thank you for listening to this edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless you.